Welcome to episode 24 of At Length. I'm Barry and he's Christian. And this is our bi-weekly podcast where we pick a topic to discuss long enough to get a good convo going, but not long enough so that you turn us off in frustration. Hopefully. This week, a little timely considering Lion King just came out. Let's talk adaptations, Christian. Okay, so we were talking about it earlier. First, we need to establish what an adaptation is. So we have adaptations, remakes, retellings, and I want to say that's about it. To me, an adaptation is when you take a media from one medium to another. So this would be video game to movie, movie to video game, anime to or manga to anime, anything like that. So when you move it from one medium to another, to me that's an adaptation. A remake is when you take one story and just kind of update it. So you've got The Lion King to me would be a remake. They just took the first movie and made it again. Just more modernized, I guess. And then a retelling would be if someone does a remake but takes artistic liberties with it. So I would say Power Rangers. The Power Rangers movie. That's not how they got their powers. Zordon was never called the first Red Ranger or anything like that. It's never implied that Rita Repulsa was a ranger herself. But in the movie, they do go through that. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was not only because of the Lion King remake that had come out, but also all the controversy over Halle Bailey. Is that her name? Yeah, it's Halle Halle Bailey. And it's because people were mad that a black girl was finna play Ariel, the mermaid, in The Little Mermaid. And... In the cartoon, she's white. So they took some liberties with it. Also, The Lion King coming out. It just seemed like a good time to talk about it. Especially since we've hit on the the anime adaptations by Netflix. So that's something I wanted to gauge your opinion on. But um, how do you feel about the race of characters from one to another? Well, I guess when you get right down to it, you're talking about what matters to the story and you know we're hashtag marvel boys around here but (laughs) the strength of the marvel movies or the strength of any story that you're taking something that has a source material whether you're talking about you know the most famous ones are usually books right uh or comic books or whatever it comes from and you're translating to the big screen i would say maybe two combinations weird ones but they work together the marvel stuff and let's look at the it movies that have started coming back out with steven based on stephen king's source material you take what works you have the the main story plot points character a needs to get to this point by the end of the story and you keep that but certain things especially if they haven't aged good with time there are certain things in the stephen king story that you don't need to bring up now you know, I don't need to tell them. Anybody who's read the Stephen King books knows, especially at the ending, why you don't need to include that on the big screen now. But you keep the the heart and soul of the story and the characters, but you update it for whatever audience, especially if you're talking about a modern audience, and it makes sense. And I think for things like Black Panther, 
race does matter because the fact that you have an African nation, the fact that you have a character who is black, who is of African descent is central to the story, especially when he's out in the rest of the world interfacing with characters that makes sense for the story. For other things like the little mermaid, race doesn't really matter. It's not integral to the plot. So it really just depends on the story and if it makes sense for the story. You know, Miles Morales as being black and Latino adds certain flares to the story that Peter Parker couldn't capture. But Spider-Man literally could be anybody of any race or of any gender. So I think it really just depends on the needs of the story. And like you said, the context to it, like you can't have Ryan Gosling playing T'Challa. It just doesn't work at some point if there is a historical context to it. Although I do have to say that someone did mention it's something along the lines of Ariel or the Little Mermaid rather being a story based in Norway so because it's a Norwegian story she should be she should be white because it's typically the color of people in Norway but at the same time they made a movie Gods of Egypt with all white people so I'm willing to split hairs there maybe if we do right going forward well, let the, Ariel be our payback and then go from there. Well, I think the biggest difference there is because the Norwegian or Scandinavian or European just basically context has been completely scrubbed clean from all the Disney movies. The heritage and the history isn't integral to the plot and it's not even covered at all. So the whole reason that that kind of gets taken out is because it doesn't really matter. All the Disney movies are intentionally scrubbed of most historical and cultural significance unless I think Pixar is owned by Disney now but uh yeah. you know unless you have a specific movie like they've done specific movies like uh um the the one dealing with the Polynesian culture I forgot the name of the movie Moana yeah Moana or uh they had another one dealing with the uh, the day of the dead and Mexican culture Coco yeah Coco unless you're dealing with specific movies that attack those concepts, then yeah, the, especially when you're talking about Disney, the cultural significance doesn't really matter. It's kind of, people are kind of bringing that up just to kind of serve their own argument. Yeah. People forget that Walt Disney was wildly anti-Semitic. So, you know, just but keep that out there. Keeping it on adaptations, Christian. And like you said, the difference between a remake where you're taking the source material and you're almost doing it shot for shot of whatever it was on the big screen, i.e. the Watchmen movies, or an adaptation where you're kind of taking something and maybe tweaking certain things, a la the, the It movie, the Marvel movies, things of that nature. In your mind, what makes a good adaptation? I think you have to identify what the major points are in the source material and hit those and kind of bend the rest of the medium around those major plot points so that it fits. You saw Full Metal Alchemist on Netflix, right? Yes. Well, you're talking about the live action? Yeah. No, I missed all those anime live action movies. Good thing. Because... 
they tend to not capture the gravity in some cases. Some cases they completely miss the mark. Kenshin did good. The Ravroni Kenshin movies, the live adaptations, those were good because they really focused on Kenshin's character and the swordplay. The Full Metal Alchemist movie, they kind of, they don't grab the intensity of the whole Nina Tucker thing, the dog-human transfusion. Is that transfusion? Is that the word? Uh, when you put something together? Yeah. The homunculus? Now the chimera. That's what oh, it the, was. Yeah, the chimera. Yeah, when he turned his... When he uh, fused his little girl with the dog, the internet loves that meme for some terrible reason. But... When they put the two of them together, you don't really feel the gravity of it. I think they kind of breeze over the murder of several of the of the homunculus. I don't even think they're all introduced at any point in time. So we miss things like that because they're supposed to be based on the seven deadly sins. And then they kind of skip over a couple of them in the hope for a sequel. It just doesn't translate well. Even back to the Death Note movie, they don't. The fact that it's made for an American audience, that kind of loses some of the gravity to it. But then they kind of skim through the details, which I'm not a big Death Note fan anyway. I feel like they just insert a bunch of arbitrary rules out of nowhere. Just for plot convenience. But that's another discussion. But... I guess my main point would be you have to find what the major plot points are and then build the story around it. If we're talking about just an adaptation, um, I think that's why, not that I've ever read them, and I think you have the Harry Potter films or the Lord of the Rings, they hit major points and people leave the audience like, or they leave the theater saying that, they miss certain things, but they hit enough of the major points. Yeah, and I, I kind of wanted to get from books to movies because those are probably the most standard example because there is kind of an argument that I have with cartoons or anime and being able to translate certain things to the screen or manga to anime and then from anime to the big screen, especially you're talking about a live-action adaptation. There are certain things that don't translate well, but that we can we can cover that later in the conversation. But yeah, books to the big screen, books uh, turning into movies, I think one of, and I agree with all your points as far as what makes a good adaptation, but I think the difficulty when you're talking about, especially when you're talking about things like very present right now in pop culture, Game of Thrones, um, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, some of these things that are almost institutions when it comes to fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, that kind of thing. You can't put everything into it, especially when you have the constraints of a two, usually two and a half hour movie or even three if you're granted the liberty by the studio to film something set that long. Uh, you're not, you're going to miss certain things. And I guess kind of getting back to what you're saying, you kind of have to focus in on the things that are most integral to the story and i haven't seen all the harry potter movies but for the most part i think that they hit on 
all the major points that you needed to to kind of infer the biggest things about the story. Now, of course, there was, I think, the last two movies, I think, they're able to do different, you're able to split it up into uh, multiple parts. And you, of course, you can do that when you have a studio that has a bigger budget and you, you can add more CGI and that kind of stuff, which the science behind filmmaking and the money involved is a whole other conversation. But it just really just comes down to capturing what you can. And I think that's why people go back to those movies. Yeah, because you, like going from one to the other, you read the Star Wars universe, right? Yeah, I read all the novels before they essentially counted them not canon, and they switched over to this new stuff. <laughs> I'm can, so glad you read. Can can <laughs> can you hear the disdain in my voice? <laughs> I just side note. I don't think if you were a reader, this podcast would have made it because I'd just be shooting from the hip on everything. Like, yeah, books and stuff, but. I think that's one advantage you have going from a movie to a book that you lose going the other direction is that you have so much more room to expand when you have a book. You can make a book as long as you want, put as much detail in it. But like you said, you go back to the movie, you have to condense all of that into an hour and a half experience, which means you have to identify what needs to be pulled out of the book and what you pull out could be somebody's favorite part. Right, that's a good point, especially when you're talking about Star Wars. I mean, you have, at this point, maybe 30-plus years of canon to comb through to tell all these stories, and with certain properties, certain details get a little murky, right? You you can have a person create a character, and because you're reading something, your mind kind of makes the image of what you think that character should look like, what the setting should look like what the villains are, the surrounding cast of characters. So for a movie, when you see those characters on the screen, they can look drastically different from what you expected them to look like, especially if the director and the scriptwriters take creative liberties with certain things or just decide to change things to engage a broader audience, a certain female character, in order to make her more appealing to a more mainstream audience. She may have been a lot more realistic but now they suddenly make her way more well endowed or they change certain characteristics about her to make sure like Billy who doesn't care about this book series is going to bring his girlfriend or whatever I think a big aspect of that I can see if we're talking about adaptations is Transformers and with Michael Bay kind of helming that entire franchise kind of put a glossy brush on everything every character was either pretty or I don't know, it just or rugged. Yeah, it had a very warlike feel to it. And you know, say what you want about Michael Bay, those movies killed people. As much as we hate to admit it, we love explosions. We love uh, things blowing up, giant robots. Which we still need to do a giant robot and monsters episode, but that's beside the point. We love all of it. Yeah, the story's not great, but look, there's nine Fast and Furious movies. There's like four or five Transformers movies. They both have spinoffs. We like seeing things blow up. And even it's not essential to the Transformers storyline either. Right. And I guess it kind of gets to your... When it gets down to you're trying to sell a product. And there are certain things... 
that you will sometimes add into stories to ensure that you get a bigger audience to put their butts in the seats and especially for bigger film audiences. So thinking of that and transitioning. So let's get to we talk about certain things we do like. What do you think makes a terrible adaptation? What makes a terrible adaptation is one ignoring the source material. So once again, already not a Death Note fan, but when they tried to Americanize it and then you kind of miss points that can really, in my opinion, hurt an adaptation. Also, if you're not able to convey the same type of emotion. So let me just go straight to Lion King. Lion King was a fine movie. The 2019, it was a fine movie. But the 1997, 96, the animated Disney film was a great movie. And something while we were watching it was just not connecting. I couldn't figure out what was the disconnect between the live action film and the cartoon. And, oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Three, two, one. A lot of the issue that I had with the live action movie was that they were trying to use real lions. And the emotional range of a lion's face is only so far. Because Mufasa dies in the cartoon. You see Simba like crying, tears, everything. Just... There's so much more emotion conveyed. The the betrayal of Mufasa from Scar. You can see it's like, dang, my brother really just dropped me. And you don't get that when you have just the animal faces. One thing I think the Jungle Book did well was that, one, they had a human character. Wait, wait. I have to stop you. Which Jungle Book? There's two different Jungle Books made. And one of them was absolutely terrible. You're talking about Mowgli on Netflix. That was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> no, the uh, Disney live version, the one that came out in theaters. Oh, the one was that made good. the one that made me shed thug tears. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. By the way, Lupita Nyong'o's voice alone had me when she's like, "You are my son." Like, dang, I felt that. I I almost I'm welling up now thinking about like how much emotion she was able to get across. And unfortunately, I ran into a lot of spoilers just, you know, everyday Facebooking before we saw the movie and people were talking about Beyonce's performance and it does come across as kind of deadpan. I, I have to be honest. I love how you're talking about spoilers for a Lion King movie. <laughs> Well, spoilers as in the performance and the quality of it. I mean, I woke up the day before it came out and it said, Lion King is good but doesn't live up to the original. That's another thing about adaptations is there's a bar already set. And if you can't clear that bar, not even meet it, but if you can't clear that bar, you've pretty much already failed. Yeah, and there's already a... Especially if you're talking about these movies or, no, the source material with this huge generational touch tones. Like Lion King, that may be three generations of people growing up, our parents at the time. Well, no, maybe our older, our parents, then maybe our older siblings when it first came out, and then us. 
going from whatever generation to generation and that kind of thing. So you're only, you're already talking about maybe three generations of baggage and then to be able to kind of live up to what our childlike mind remembers and highlight the good on something more so than the bad. So yeah, you're already starting from a very tough position. And I, yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like I, I haven't seen, I guess full, full transparency. I haven't seen the, the re the adaptation, but I, I kind of wonder if they focus more on getting big names to make us more so a spectacle than maybe getting the most talented names. Mm. That's a tough one because while they did get big names, they also did get pretty talented people. Maybe not for that role, but for their roles. But at the same time, most of the voices were good. I would say the only standout was Beyonce as Nolan. I just don't think the emotion was... Con- if they had made the animals with more dynamic, cartoony faces so that they were able to relay emotion better than they did, it would have been better, especially for Beyonce. But that's probably the only actor in the whole thing where I couldn't exactly feel what they were trying to convey there. Anytime you're talking about something that's either CGI or, or animation, it really hinges on the voice acting, which is a, almost an entirely other conversation. But kind of sticking on this uh, topic of things that can make a terrible adaptation, I think of something that I mentioned earlier that I kind of wanted to come bring together now. The time limit for me, especially like reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi books, you have these very complex topics, these worlds with multiple layers. There's philosophical plot points. There could be religious overtones. There are certain characters that we live with for hundreds of pages and form this intense emotional bond with as they grow into a man or a woman. And somehow, especially if your movie's not tested or you're not with a studio who's already guaranteed you a sequel, you have to try to convey all of that into an hour and a half or two hours. You know, if you're lucky, maybe two and a half hours, but a lot of the smaller studios, you don't get that type of runtime. And something that I just thought of, a fantasy novel that, or a fantasy series I was really into called Aragon, um, you know, magic, dragons, that kind of thing. The main character is a farmer, Aragon, who ends up stumbling upon a dragon egg. And, you know, the series begins and the books... Some people like to compare them as far as Harry Potter, as far as uh, reading literacy level, as far as approachability, where, you know, with Harry Potter, you're, you're the one sole wizard who can do do it all. And Aragon is the dragon rider, the person who could, you know, harness the dragons to do what he needs to do. But the movie was absolutely terrible, so bad that it didn't get a subsequent sequel because there's four, five books, I think. And one of the things that it did so, so, so so bad was first the actors were terrible but (laughs) but the visuals the dragons the cgi looked terrible i don't know and then they just spent things subtle things that you probably would just not think mattered in a movie matters so much like the the relationship between aragon and his dragon safira even early on is very important and they kind of pushed past all that to try to focus on the battles that were very poorly choreographed. So, I don't know, from beginning to end, it kind of just was doomed to fail. So, with that, 
I think another thing that makes an adaptation bad is how involved is the original creator. Ooh, that's a tough one. One of my favorite movies is an adaptation of a series, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I can't believe I'm spacing on his name. Um, O'Brien. What is the author of Scott Pilgrim's? The Brian Lee O'Malley? Yeah, Brian Lee O'Malley. He was involved in the production of the movie and, oh God, <sighs> Ant-Man director, uh, the original director of the film, he got, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Jude Law, um, I'll look it up, but I know he was a fan of the book. O'Malley had a pretty big hands-on part of it to make sure, because the book, the series hadn't finished when the book came out, but they managed it in a way that was still satisfying to the audience. Because, Edgar Wright. Yes! Oh, man. Because he did Ant-Man, and I think he got pulled off of that project, too. That's beside the point. Actually, since this is the Marvel Boys podcast, is on point, and we can get into that later. But in this one, it's a good movie because there was so much involvement from the original creators. Um, Game of Thrones regardless of how you view the ending um doc i don't remember anybody's name right now george rr martin okay he was i believe not writing it but trying to make sure the story went in a direction that still made sense to the audience so if there's no influence or no input from the original creator it's automatically lost some of the soul behind yeah, that one's that can be a tough one though, because sometimes sometimes a, a screenwriter or the person writing the script, whether it's a movie or a TV show, sometimes they can have some dope ideas that can flip something into a way that the reader has never seen before that works out. Game of Thrones is weird because George R. R. Martin gave them plot points while he's still been trying to finish the series. The the series hasn't finished and he spent he's spent so much more time on the TV show that I feel like creatively it kind of suffered. I kind of feel yeah. like he he reached a point where he kind of didn't know where the story could go and I mean people could debate all day about that. Yeah, and when it comes down to it it was just how do we put this? It was more profitable to make the se- the TV series than the book. From what I understand, this is a little off topic probably not even going to finish the books because he's already working on another project. Unfortunately, that's just how that goes. But at least it went to an ending. Not even saying that it necessarily affects the quality if the original creator's not involved or the people that are behind it aren't fans. But the fans that you are expecting to show up for the adaptation, you know how toxic fandom can be. If they find out that the original creator either had nothing to do or something happened that the original creator did not like, instant hate. Yeah, and fandom for better or for worse, it comes with it comes with the territory for especially for properties that we have personal attachment to. That's why sometimes you almost have to create in a vacuum is a balance of creating something that you personally feel fulfilled by while also staying true to the characters. So I guess that is another thing as far as ways that the adaptation can go bad. You lose the soul of the story to sometimes even just to try to almost do fan service, especially if it doesn't have a reason to be there. Or sometimes you can just go 
I guess speaking of George R. R. Martin, sometimes you can just go in completely the wrong direction. I'm thinking of other complex stories that just may not work on film. Like one of the most infamous ones is Dune. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's it kind of lives up in the same stratosphere of Lord of the Rings as far as for sci-fi, because it probably is to sci-fi what Lord of the Rings was to fantasy as far as being able to introduce a lot of these. I saw that movie. Yeah. And the once you said that, the spice. Yeah, yeah, it was. it's a very political, complex sci-fi story, and they've tried to remake it so many times. It's been in development hell for years and years. They tried to make one or two movies of it. They went terrible, and they're trying to make another one, reboot it, and try to do it again. And it's, it's one of those type of things where I'm not sure it's going to even be a I'm not sure you could translate that well to the big screen. I don't think there's enough time unless it's like three plus hours or, you know, maybe turning into a TV, maybe turning into a series. But then the budget's going to have to be astronomical to care to capture some of the set pieces in the story. Also, you got to look at the source length. Like, you know how bad a one piece movie would be? You have to look at the length of a series, too, because... You know how bad a One Piece movie would be if they tried to do it in one episode? Plus, I just think it would be hard. I mean, that's, and I mentioned that earlier about maybe turning animation into live action. Sometimes there are certain things on a comic book page or in an anime or in a cartoon that are just hard to really capture on the big screen or as far as live action adaptations. Like you mentioned, Moroni Kenshin works because it's in some areas it's still very grounded as a period piece about samurai, which there have been a lot of good films that have done that. But for something like One Piece, for Scott Pilgrim is still one of those really weird scenarios where it actually worked. But that's also because the source material is intentionally poking fun at itself. It's supposed to kind of be weird. It's just cheesy enough to where you can do the goofy things that happen and it just kind of adds to the soul of the source material and doesn't take anything away from it. That'd be like if someone tried to turn it into a comedy. So kind of taking all those concepts, let's kind of get into what are some of your favorite adaptations and what are some of your least favorite? Let's start with our favorites first. What What are certain things that came from one source material and translated to something else it can be from a book to a comic it can be from a comic to a movie something to a tv show okay so first off very top of the list scott pilgrim versus the world one of my favorite movies um one of the worst was um hmm the super mario brothers movie oh man that and I think the issue, the biggest issue there is that the Mario Brothers lore isn't established enough or wasn't established enough. It's still not established enough to make a movie about, but at least now we have more of a idea of who Mario is and they didn't even try with that one. As far as comic adaptations... Any Fantastic Four movie. But what did I really enjoy one time? What was something that I really enjoyed? I can't think of anything right now. Oh, Power Rangers. The the Power Rangers movie, the most recent one. I don't think it got great critical acclaim, but 
I enjoyed it a lot because it was a retelling, but they kept a lot of the elements in there and made it make a little bit more sense in a more grounded reality. Plus, I'm a fan of the series in general, but they wanted teenagers with attitude and they pulled them right out of detention. Ooh, but one that went wrong was the Ninja Turtles adaptation because God, that's just impossible to nail if it's not in cartoon form. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're going to get a good live action Ninja Turtles. I just it's clunky. And it's just yeah, it's bad. Yeah, especially when Tyler Perry's playing a villain in it. Like that one that that just wasn't happening. But even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, I don't think they got great reviews or they translated to well, the initial ones, not the not the most recent ones. I mean, like the secret of the ooze, the turtles in time. Like a lot of things don't translate well, or like when you look at them in the nineties, and then you try to bring them to two thousand twenty, just doesn't work. Right. Some things just have a time period that work for them. What about you? Um, I have a couple, and some of them aren't near perfect, but I just still like them. I I like the American adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I was a big fan of the series. I still haven't read the last book, but I thought Daniel Craig did a really good job in the role that he played, and I forgot the actress name who played the the hacker, the main the the main girl. And I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. But especially, I think, because her previous roles, I think her previous roles were a lot brighter. And so a lot of people were surprised to kind of see her in that role. But there is, I think, a Swedish adaptation directly from it because I think the author is Swedish. But I actually really like the American version of it. And I think it did a really good job of taking the central theme of the characters and you believe their relationship and how the story ends up by the end I mean they took a little a few liberties with the story but it was all for the good um another adaptation that I really like that was from television to turning it to a Netflix series was Lost in Space kind of showing some of my well not really my age but I grew up on that show it was an old sci-fi show I think that came out in the 50s and 60s that I used to watch with my dad along with Twilight Zone and they updated it while still keeping a retro feel on the Netflix show. And I think what really helped it, because I think it was a television series and it went on way too long, was that they shortened it to a condensed, I want to say maybe eight to ten episodes. So there was a concise story and adventure that the main characters, which were essentially a family, being lost in space, but they, they provided enough background that I think wasn't previously there. This is one of those scenarios where it was actually good to build upon the source material because the so, the show was very monster of the week in the beginning. They had a problem every week that they had to solve and they got through it. And the source material was kind of a mile long and an inch thick as far as depth on the personal lives of the characters. But in this one, you got really into the dynamic of the father and mother about to divorce while he was deployed for the military, but their family ends up coming back together one of the daughters is adopted so there's a 
there's a little bit of a feeling of if she really belongs. The youngest son kind of feels left behind with all the other chaos happening. So it's really a good example of when you have script writers who add things to the story, it actually ends up being a deeper experience than the source material. A, huh, a terrible example. I I haven't seen the newest Godzilla, but I hear that it promises to be much better than the one that they did three years ago. But in Godzilla, I mean, it's there are so many different ways that you can interpret and adapt that franchise. But I think they lost track of what's important with Godzilla in the same way of kind of Transformers. Yes, the characters, the human characters have to be there, but what are we there for? We're there for the aliens. <laughs> We're there for, to see Godzilla fight. And one thing that got on my nerves so much was that they focused more on the character, the soldier, the ordnance expert. He was, a, I think, a, he worked on bombs in the military. He's the same character who played Quicksilver in the uh, Marvel Studios before he died in the second Avengers movie. They focused more on him than Kick God's... Ass? You said what? Kick-ass? Yeah, it's the same guy. Uh, they focus more on his story, trying to get back to his family, than actually on Godzilla. Literally, Godzilla's been to fight these creatures, and they pan away from that to show him going like in the wreckage, trying to get back to his wife that he didn't have to leave in the first place. That's the other thing. It didn't make sense story-wise. He was back home from being, on, being deployed. Things happened, and he's immediately like, yo, I got to get out there. And then he's like, oh, crap, I got to go back to my family. You didn't have to leave in the first place. So I'm getting riled up just now thinking about it. But yeah, those are those are some immediate examples I can think of, good and bad. And of course, all the live-action anime adaptations are usually terrible. Yeah, I think you're going from... They try to ground it in reality too much because, once again, I think you have to be a fan of something to truly appreciate it, to really go through and embrace the nuttiness of it all. But I mean with the Bleach adaptation that that storyline itself kind of fell apart. Speaking of anime or manga because one of my favorite mangas of all time is Akira or Akira. Akira. You know to our Japanese listeners. But uh, all none of them. They are actually well you, you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> we but, got metrics, Perry. We know. <laughs> yeah, you. Oh, right. sorry. That's me being negative. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Yes, for the Japanese audience, uh, Akira. Uh, yeah, they're actually going to do a live adaptation of that, which I don't know how I feel about because there are some. So I still have not seen the animated movie, which a lot of artists. A lot of people kind of in the industry have credited that movie, the animated movie, with jump-starting their love of, you know, animation of drawing and that kind of thing. And for me, there are certain set pieces in the manga, like just the, the countrywide destruction, the morphing of Tetsuo and Kanata and, the, and how they look physically and the powers and there are just certain things that I'm wondering, how are you going to capture live action adaptation? Hmm. Let's see. I really like the jungle book, the, the, the movie one, the, 
theatrical release. Yeah, not the trash on Netflix. <laughs> you know, I actually didn't mind that one either. It was just uh, from a different point of view than the other one that came out around the same time. Um, there was one book, because I don't read many books, but there was one book I read that got a movie adaptation that I hated. It's probably why I don't remember the book. It was just a bad experience, and I just blocked it all out. Like, nope, didn't even read the book. Not a fan. Yeah, so I guess kind of rounding it all up, there is hope for adaptations, but it's really the onus is on, one, the creator of the source material kind of being vigilant in who he or she chooses to adapt their work because usually after you sign a contract, unless you're able to negotiate terms, once you sign the contract, you know, they take your idea and they run off and do whatever with it. And then it's up to the studio. If they're not just trying to do a cash grab to actually make, make something worthwhile. That's still, that still credits the source material, but maybe you still tell your own story with it, which is why I think I'm more of a fan of adaptations when they're good than remakes. Cause part of the reason part of the reason that the Watchmen didn't get really any acclaim it was literally panel for panel or a retelling of the comic book to its detriment because there are certain things that just did not come out well in the movie because of it that came off kind of flat and while we're talking about this uh, topic of adaptations I did want to point out the reason that and I know adaptations, retellings, remakes, that's not a new concept by any means. But I think one of the reasons it's such a popular model now is because we have this whole generation, our generation, that has experienced so much media that can be converted. That's why we're getting like Lion King updates and all of these Disney movies and Pokemon still going is because we were the generation that not only got our parents to buy things, but we just kept buying them. Like it was never uncool to watch Ninja Turtles at no point in our lives. At some point, I want to say with the previous generation, it wasn't cool to be into comics after a certain point in life. You know, you, you play with toys, then you grow up, and then you just move on to do adult stuff. And not saying we didn't move on to adult stuff, but we still kept those fandoms in us, and they're able to monetize it later. So yeah. there was no societal pressure to kind of move away from certain things and move on to other things. Right. I mean, that explains why Pokemon has been around for 23 years. You know, me coming up, there was that awkward phase where, like, if you're a nerd or you're more of a nerd and it's awkward to play Pokemon. But I'm sure me playing Pokemon at 16 would be a lot better than my dad having played Pokemon at 16. Right. And, like, our kids will probably be playing Pokemon until they're... Retired, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there there was, uh, and I mean, a lot of that just has to do with the viewpoint of stuff, right? Comic books literally came out, and the whole 
point of them was supposed to be a child's thing. And that's kind of changed, especially now in current society. There's just, you know, pop popular culture is nerddom, is geekdom, like the Marvel movies, you know, kind of. And that's kind of, I guess, maybe running into our final topic. A lot of things from the past are being adapted now, so much so as far as from the big from the big uh, from the major studios, you know, there's still independent films and different things and new ideas. But as far as in the mainstream, most things that come out nowadays are usually adapting some type of source material or some type of concept to the fact that it seems like they're kind of overcompensating and there's not really a lot of new ideas. And I think a lot of that comes from, once again, the creators of these adaptations not being involved. I mean, the adaptation creators not being fans or the original creators at this point either aren't available, like, alive, or not being involved at all. And another thing you got to think about is... Even if someone was a fan of something, it might be a little bit different than how you remember it. So, for example, um, we just did we just rewatched the Sons of Anarchy. And I remember and this was just what, five, ten years ago. It's way different than I remember. Like, I thought it was this show about. You know, some cool bikers going around shooting people, doing hood rat stuff with their friends. And then you come back and you revisit it and it's like, wow, this show is really racist and misogynistic. And really, these people are stupid. Gosh, this isn't what I remember at all. So you kind of have to be careful with that nostalgia factor because you might be remembering it wrong. And someone might be remembering it wrong themselves, and there's just no universal idea of what it is. That's one thing that I think can go wrong with that. Now, things with, like, uh, Pokemon, for example. It's still an active property. It's still an active franchise. So we're kind of just bombarded with what Pokemon is constantly. Right. It just... Usually, once something works, they're going to keep on going with it, which, you know, that's why superhero films have started to take off. And every year there's an article about, is this the death of superhero films? Are people tired of it? I mean, the numbers would say no. They keep getting bigger and bigger. What's going to be interesting there is, I don't know how much you know about it, and uh, as we're kind of cutting to a close and not run late, is uh, The Boys. I think that's either coming through Amazon or maybe uh, HBO's streaming service. It's essentially a, de- essentially a deconstruction of superheroes. It's about an actual... the co- It's based on a comic book. And the actual crux of the series, you have people come in because superheroes are essentially become corrupted, become evil. And you have people who come in that essentially humble them in as graphically violent a way as possible. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see that... if. And the cast of it seems pretty pretty dope. I like the first trailer. I'm wondering how deep into this source material they're going to go because it gets pretty dark. 
So it'll be interesting to see if we can have maybe a rash of counterculture movies that is no longer about good or evil. It becomes a bit more aligned with maybe how reality is going where things are a bit darker. Yeah. And I'm not familiar with the boys, but I did see the trailer for it and I was interested. So I guess that's the goal with adaptations to count on having the money there from the fan base, but also being able to introduce new people to it. You think about an adaptation, you've got half your sales taken care of. Right. I think if we're trying to do sequels and everything, you need to do a good job of it. Right. Um, but with that being said, I don't have any problems with the black aerial just because mermaids aren't real. Yeah. I <laughs> I have a problem with the black Jesus or a, uh, or a black Egyptian god. And I would have a problem with uh oh did i say a black egyptian god you did. i would have a problem with a white egyptian god and i would have a problem with a white t'challa and going back to my opinion on lion king you really have to be able if you're going to do a remake be able to hit those emotional points when mufasa died i did not cry when Mufasa died in the original cartoon, I think that was probably the first time I cried during a movie. Yeah, and animated adaptations are a whole different thing. You're you're putting a lot of you're putting a lot of onus on your voice actors to be able to correctly convey that, and you know the voice actors can all all only go off of the instruction that they get from the director as well as the script that's provided for them. So. It's a collaborative process. All parts have to play their part, I suppose. So I would say to recap, you have to be aware of what the source material is, stay true to it, and if you're going to put any spin on it, make sure it doesn't take away from the material. And if someone can do that, they've got a good remake, adaptation, retelling, by our standards at least. I agree. Mr. Christian, I agree. You have tips any... do rag. You say what? I said not tips hat, but tips do rag. <laughs> so you have anything else before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. We hope you enjoyed this talk on adaptations. And we can only hope in the years to come, the source material, because it seems like that's where the in- industry is going more and more look at books and comics and just different things that become a mind for ideas we can only hope that you have enough people there who are remaking these things to actually care about them and continue to follow us on soundcloud we're gonna keep putting these things out life keeps coming in the way but it's not gonna stop us from putting out this content it's hot fire yeah this hot fire like dylon and spit hot fire join in the conversation critique us or even just share what you're thinking in general. And thanks for joining us this week as we talk at length.